Thanks for listening to the New Life Church Searcy podcast. If you'd like to get connected to what God is doing at the Searcy campus, you can text the word Searcy to 88000. There you can give online, get connected to a life group, find your place in a serve team, and so much more. You can also find today's message notes in the YouVersion Bible app. Just tap the link in the episode description to follow along during the sermon and save notes directly to your phone. Now prepare your hearts to hear a great word from God today. Well, good morning, church. How we doing? Okay. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Um, I hope you're having a fantastic start to the Christmas season. Uh, I hope you are uh, got your shopping at least about 35% of the way done. Uh, how many of you, you're totally done with your Christmas shopping? Raise your hand. You're already done. You overachievers. My goodness. Um, Well, welcome to church this morning. I'm so glad that you guys are here. My name is Craig. I'm one of the pastors here. Kevin, uh, obviously not here this morning. Uh, He is at a different campus this week. It was kind of a a little bit of a last minute thing happening this week and helping out a friend, another campus pastor, and helping take care of another campus. And uh, I'm going to be honest with you. That's the beauty of multi-site is to be able to to help out each other. If if there's a situation that comes up and you kind of need to be there, and uh, a sister campus and, and just, just being part of community. So uh, you get stuck with me today, but I'm excited to be able to, to bring the word this morning. Uh, let me give you another couple of quick announcements before we dive into it. Uh, Adrian mentioned candlelight coming up. Uh, man, we, we are excited about candlelight. Can't wait. It's hard to believe we're just a few weeks away from being there. But please make plans to do that. Also, I want to let you know, there will be no services on Christmas Day. So uh, on the 25th, that Sunday, no services here. But we've got some super exciting news to let you guys know about. Beginning January 8th, we're going back to two services. And uh, we're very excited about this. I know some of you have, if you used to be a 9 o'clock service person, then you've got to sleep in for an hour. It's time to set the alarm a little earlier again. But uh, we just want to be able to make some more room. Um, especially uh, before kind of the holidays started hitting, this place was starting to feel kind of crowded. Our kids' ministries are busting at the seams. And so this gives us an opportunity to make a little bit more room. Uh, I know some of you are like, man, I, I love serving our church, but only having one service on a Sunday means I have to miss out on a service if you're back in a kids' ministry or something like that. So this allows us to kind of go back to the roots of attend one, serve one. And so if you've never served before, or you have been in that mode of like, I don't know if I want to give up a service to go serve somewhere. Uh, attend one, serve one. That's the model we believe in. We want you to go serve kids at the 9 o'clock and then come be part of service at the 11 or vice versa. So January 8th, we cannot wait to go back to two services. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun for us. Um, and we, we're just excited about it. Like I said, my name's Craig. Uh, my wife, Lauren, and I have been pastors here for a while now. And this is actually the first time uh, I've gotten to speak since we made a big announcement that we're having a baby, y'all. Come on. I'm so excited. Go ahead and throw that picture up. I think we, we found out it's a girl. I'm going to be a girl dad. Can you believe it? Um, Everyone knew I was going to be a girl dad from, from a long time. I'm a worrier by nature, so yay for me. Um, but yeah, we, we are very excited. Uh, if you see Lauren, don't touch her belly, but you can kind of look in that direction. She'll be happy to talk. Uh, she, she laughs all the time because she tends to wear like baggier clothes or sweatshirts and stuff. She's like, I don't know if people really can tell yet. I don't know if they can know. Uh, but when she's at home, I can definitely tell. Like we are, we're about three and a half months away, and we're just very, very excited. 
Um, this morning, uh, if you're a note taker, I'm going to throw some stuff at you today. Uh, to to lots of stuff that you can take notes with. I don't have like a key story or verse that I want to talk through, but you can follow along on the Bible app if you want to kind of keep track of where I'm going this morning. But how many of you, I, I know this, we're talking to adults this morning, and I'm looking around the room, and I feel like most of you can remember a time when Facebook was pretty new, Okay. Raise your hand if you remember when Facebook kind of came out, when it started becoming a thing. This is the people I know I'm talking to. Um, Facebook, you know, if you don't know the story of Facebook, it started, I believe, at Harvard and uh, was just kind of a college thing so they could kind of see everybody and know everybody, spread to other colleges, then went to, to high schools, and then was available to everyone across the world, honestly, uh, for better or worse, let's be honest, okay? But Facebook, I don't know if, even if they still do it. I never hardly get on Facebook. But they used to have this thing called a relationship status. Anybody remember the relationship status? How many of y'all were dating when the relationship status was a thing? It was a big deal to become Facebook official, right? Like, you were not in a real relationship until you were, like, Facebook official. So the relationship status on Facebook had a couple different options. It said you were either married, you were single, divorced, in a relationship, or there was that other option. How many of y'all remember it? It's complicated. You knew when somebody changed their status from in a relationship or engaged to it's complicated. Whoo, drama. Like... Those were your friends who you knew they, they, they had some spicy takes. Like you knew the minute they changed it, there was something going on and they kind of wanted the world to know. But when you asked about it, please respect my privacy. You just made it complicated on Facebook. You just made it complicated on Facebook for the whole world to see. But it's complicated is one of those things I've always thought about. Why in the world is that there? And I got to thinking, aren't all relationships kind of complicated? Um, raise your hand. If you've ever been in a complicated relationship, if you are married or in a relationship, so help me, do not raise your hand. It's a trap. It's a trap, trust me. Um, I am the king of complicated relationships. Uh, there was, not currently, good Lord. Uh, <laughs> um, when I, was, when I was fresh out of high school, I was, oh my gosh, I'm telling this story on a Sunday. Uh, I was fresh out of high school, had dated a girl for a while, and she was a year behind me, so she was a senior. And she broke up with me like two weeks before her senior prom. Guess who went to her senior prom anyway with her? Complicated, okay? It was weird, it was awkward, it was uncomfortable, and it was very, very complicated. So I understand complicated relationships. Relationships are complicated, but we also know that God meant for us to have relationships. He meant for us to have relationships with people, community with people. In fact, Genesis 2.18 says, Then God said, It's not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper as his partner. All relationships are complicated, but we're not meant to do this thing alone. And listen, it does not matter what kind of relationship you're in or what kind of relationship we talk about. I, this is not, uh, some people saw my notes and go, ooh, you're doing a marriage message today. No, I'm not talking about dating or marriage. That applies absolutely. But this is any kind of relationship. They can be friendships. They can be family relationships, relationships with your kids, with your spouse, with your parents, with your siblings, coworkers. The list goes on and on. All of us have some relationships in our lives. 
Some of you may have a lot of relationships. Some of you may keep your circle very tight, but we all have relationships. God kind of gives us the blueprint of what a relationship looks like through Paul. Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, bear one another's burdens, and in doing so, you're fulfilling the law of Christ. So this is literally a law that Christ gives us. What is that law? John 13, 34, and 35 says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I've loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. We are created, we are called, we are commissioned to love people, to have relationships with people, to build one another up. When you're struggling, I'm struggling. Another verse talks about the body. We're all connected in different parts of the body, of the spiritual body. So when you hurt, I hurt. That's how it's supposed to be. We were created for community. So why are relationships complicated then? If it's how we were created to be, if it's what we were intended to be, and God created us for this, why are relationships so complicated? Let me give you a few reasons this morning. First off, we allow culture to define it for us. We have a bad tendency as humanity, we're like a hive mindset sometimes, where we allow culture to define what healthy relationships look like, what healthy friendships look like, dating relationships look like, marriages look like, family relationships. We allow culture around us to dictate and define what it is. If you've got Netflix or Hulu or any streaming service, even Disney+, Plus, you hop on there for longer than a few minutes, you're going to see how different people in relationships interact with each other. And you're going to see probably drama. There's a reason reality TV has taken over the world in the last 20 years. It's because people are addicted to the drama. We get addicted to the conflict. We get addicted to the Kardashians for some reason. But we, we find that stuff and we get attracted to it. Even cooking shows. Anybody here like cooking shows? Okay, Great British Bake Off even. Okay, Cupcake Wars. Uh, the next Food Network star, is that still a thing? Uh, we, watched, we watched these cooking shows. They've even introduced drama into cooking. Okay, I think she underproved her bread. <laughs> how dare she? I mean, how in the world have we introduced drama into a show about baking? Like, that, it makes no sense to me. But it's part of the zeitgeist. It's part of our culture that has introduced this drama and tension. Uh, social media. There are Twitter feuds between celebrities all the, all the time. Uh, Twitter itself right now is full of drama. If you're on Twitter, you know. The comment section on Facebook or YouTube or Instagram, my goodness. Like, you can be emotionally drained just looking on some random video's comment section because there's full of hate. It's full of people who just want to punch and hit jabs and spit fire out of their mouth and being negative. You look at social media on the other side of it. Social media, now listen, I, I, I used to be an advocate for social media. I don't find myself on it very much anymore because social media can be a very toxic place. Can I get an amen? Social media, for all of its benefits, has a lot of flaws as well. Now, I'm not here bashing social media and saying don't get on it. I'm on it. If you want to be on it, be on it. But social media also has the tendency to have a comparison game attached to it. So you talk about the drama and people fighting and bickering, and then you look at the opposite direction. You see somebody's perfect family on Instagram. 
and you're like, my family doesn't look like that. Comparison is the thief of joy, and we start looking around at other, other people, other families, other successes. We do this in the church world, too. The business world does it. You're looking at another church or another organization, and you're saying, man, they've got it all figured out. But like I have tried to say many times to many people when I talk on the t- subject of social media, you are comparing their highlight reel to your worst day. And we can't do that. We look at social media as a comparison tool, and it hurts. Their tree looks like the Rockefeller Center Christmas tree. Mine looks like Charlie Brown. Like, it's hard not to compare yourselves to other people. I remember whenever I was in my early 20s, my brother and I, we, we, we moved out on our own, got our own apartment, and uh, we actually we had a townhouse at one point, and we had some other guys living with us. And when we, we moved out on our own, I thought, it's going to be like Friends, the TV show. Like, people are going to come over to our house. We're always going to host. It's going to be awesome, okay? Uh, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna all hang out together. Everything's going to be good. If there is drama in our lives, it will be solved in 30 minutes or less by the end of the episode. Like, I thought that. But Ross and Rachel should not be your metric for how a healthy relationship looks. You just can't do it. And since these things tend to surround us every day, it's part of our culture, it's part of what we see, even though we don't realize it, culture, society, movies, TV shows, social media, all of this, the news cycle, everything surrounds us and swirls around us so much so that we begin to think that the content that we're consuming is the metric on how we should live. And we get wrapped up and we get off focus of what really truly should happen. But look at what Scripture says. Scripture says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, don't copy the behavior and customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will know what God wants you to do. We can't be conformed to the ways of the world, everything else going around us, what society or culture or the news cycle or social media is throwing at us, but we have to allow God to transform us into a new person. The gospel is not behavior modification. It is a heart transformation. The gospel, what Jesus came to do was not give you a list of do's and don'ts, and this is the rule book, you should follow this rule book. No, the gospel is a heart transformation. Jesus wants to work on us from the inside outward. I want to, Jesus is saying, I want, I want to tweak your heart. I want to tweak your intentions. I want to tweak what you're seeing as acceptable. I want you to tweak those things in your life. I want you to refocus your attention. Then everything around you, your relationships, your jobs, everything else will fall into place on the outside. It's about transforming the desires of your heart. Another reason that relationships are complicated is that our priorities are out of order. Priorities are just out of whack. Uh, One of the things I like to teach on when it comes to talking about priorities, if you want to know if your priorities are out of order or not, for the next two weeks, I want you to journal everything you do. When you go to bed at night, keep a journal and track and log what time you did the thing and how long you did the thing. And after two weeks, go back and just tally all that up and add it up and say, okay, where was I spending most of my time? I can promise you most of us are not in the word the majority of the time. Our eyes aren't fixed on Jesus the majority of the time. And we blame it on modern culture. Yes, there's life, there's school, there's Christmas parties and plays, and there's stuff that we're going to. And how in the world could I be expected to keep my attention on Jesus 24-7? 
But it's a choice. Our priorities, though, can be out of whack. We, we, we say with our mouths that, yeah, God, family, work, friends. But do our actions, do our priorities actually reflect that? Or does somehow God start sifting his way down toward the bottom of the list? And this is where I want to focus on the majority of my time this morning. Is that we have a tendency to apply the spiritual after the fact. The relationships that we have, whether it's a dating relationship, a friendship, you name it, family. Anytime trouble happens, that's when we want to go to God. But imagine if we flipped it. Imagine if we reprioritized and said, you know what? In order to have a healthy relationship, I'm going to make the foundation to be Christ. Matthew 6.33 says this, one of my favorite verses. But seek first. Everybody say first. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Proverbs 16.3 says, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. When we have a commitment, when we prioritize Christ, when we prioritize Jesus at the top of our list and filter everything else through him, then it's amazing to see and look back on and say, wow, we made him the foundation and everything's still standing. But when we try to put this massive foundation of Jesus on top of sinking sand and wobbly relationships and wobbly priorities, then it's going to tip over every time. If you've ever seen somebody stack making a cup pyramid and stacking cups up, imagine trying to flip that on the other side, starting with one cup and ballooning up to 15. There's no way it can happen. It's impossible. And the same way happens with our relationship with Jesus. We find ourselves trying to put Jesus, the biggest piece of the puzzle, at the top of the pyramid, and it always crumbles and falls to the ground. We love talking about life groups here at New Life. And I hope, I hope you're part of a life group. I hope you've been part of a life group. I hope you're considering being part of a life group as your New Year's resolution moving forward. We love life groups and how important they are. You hear us talk all the time. Get in a group. Find your place. Find a serve team. Get connected. You can't do this thing alone. But I see the metrics. And, and Rob and Beth are right here. They're looking at me. And I can promise you they, they know the metrics too. And the metrics tend to show there's a, when we do a life group launch, there's a swell of people that join a life group. And over time, that number trickles down. And I get it. Life gets in the way. Stuff happens. This is not me trying to, like, just guilt you into being part of a life group. But the metrics is this. You see, you see our natural reaction sometimes is, like, you know, I got busy. Or we want to blame the group, right? Like, it wasn't a good fit. The community wasn't quite there. It wasn't the right time. I couldn't find a group that met at the right time, or they didn't have childcare for me, or maybe the guacamole that they served was a little subpar. Like, whatever it is, like, we, we want to blame something. But what about us? And I'm guilty of this myself, okay? If, if I'm pointing a finger out, I got, I got three more pointing back at me. The thumb's just kind of up there in the air. But I got three more pointing back at me. I'm guilty of this myself. We need to look inwardly for just a minute. If we want to, we need to become the person we're willing to attract. We need to become the person. We need to prioritize ourselves in that way. Do we have our priorities right? Before we've hopped into a group, are our priorities in the right order? Have we met time pursuing God ourselves? Or are we expecting a group to fix us? It doesn't work that way. It can't work that way. Now, I want you guys to hear my heart this morning. I'm not saying 
that you have to have everything figured out before you join a life group or a serve team or find community. That's not what I'm saying at all. There are a lot of broken people who are finding community. But it is about the priority. If you're trying to skip the step of working on yourself and jumping right into a group and expecting that group to be perfect and everything to go flawlessly and suddenly my life is fixed and I found community without ever working on yourself, it's never going to work. Your, your priorities are out of order. That pyramid is upside down. You have to commit to pursuing a life of God. You have to commit to putting God number one in your life before you can ever expect somebody else to invest in it. But our selfish humanity wants to skip the step. We want, we want to skip it. We, we want to move from this part to this part. I'm learning a lot uh, over the last few months with, with pregnancy and expecting a child. I am learning a whole lot. And there's a lot of steps I would love to skip. If I had it my way, we fast forward time warp, beam me up Scotty to March so we can have the baby already. Some of our best friends are also having a baby. They're a little further along than, than we are. And we went shopping with them this week. And, you know, she's ready to have the baby this month. And so she's like that uncomfortable kind of pregnant. And she's like, can it just happen already right now? But you can't skip those steps. If you skip the steps, then you can't grow. Those steps are vitally important. As hard, as difficult sometimes as they may be, as uncomfortable as they are, we need to grow as people. We can't skip these steps and jump to the fun part. So what do we do? What's the solution? What's the application? Craig, give me some, some help here. A couple of things. First off, we have to focus on him before them. Focus on him, him being Jesus before them, them being everyone else. None of my other points are going to rhyme, I promise. We have to focus on him before them. It is so easy to think. I've done, I did student ministry. I'm not doing it. I have to get over that. Johnson doing an incredible job wherever he is. There he is. But I did student ministry for a long time. And this was the number one thing I would always try to tell students. You got to work on you first. Do not expect somebody else to complete you. Jerry Maguire was wrong. Nobody else can complete you, okay? We have to work on ourselves. We've got to be the best version of us we can be before we can ever expect somebody else to pour into us or pour into somebody else. Focus on him. Focus our attention on Jesus before anything else or anyone else. Matthew 22, 37 through 39 says this. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first. Everybody say first again. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. We have to love God first. That has to be the priority. Love God first. Do, let him do the work in our lives. Then we can focus on the other people. And here's why this is important. And this is going to be a very strong point. I want you to hear me with, with, with open ears and understand this. Here's why it's important. Pursuing relationship more than pursuing God, is idolatry. Pursuing relationship before pursuing God is idolatry. Craig, that's strong. Yeah, it's strong. It's strong because it's true. Anything you put ahead of God is considered an idol. As much as I love my friends and the community I have around me, they cannot take the place of God. They can't be ahead of God. They can't be the priority ahead of God. 
as much as I love my wife, she cannot take the place of God. I can't pursue her the same way I pursue God. I have to pursue God more. As much as I'm going to love my daughter, I cannot love her or pursue her more than God. And that feels strange to say, right? It hurts to say almost because I would die for my wife. I would die for my daughter. I would die for my family. I would give my life. But I can't make them a higher priority than God. You just can't do it because anything that takes the place of God on the priority list becomes an idol in our life. And it can be anything. Maybe it's relationships. Maybe, maybe it's, it's another addiction. Maybe it's a mindset. Maybe it's Dr. Pepper. I don't know. But anything that takes the place of God on your priority list is an idol. Exodus chapter 34, verse 14 says this. You must worship no other gods, but only the Lord. For he is a God who is passionate about his relationship with you. Why is it important that we pursue God first and make him the priority? Because he is equally as passionate about you. Us, insignificant specks of human beings on a small planet, in a small solar system, in a small galaxy, in an infinite universe. He cares about you. He knows you by name. He knows how many hairs are on your head. And you matter to him. The Bible has told us countless times already, like, if we put him first in our priority, if we make him the priority, we pursue him first, everything else starts to work itself out and fall in line. But our humanity, our humanity wants to get in the way. Our selfish desires say, no, 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 no. It's, it's about me first, though. And it's about what I care about first. The gospel is constantly saying, us second, us down the list, pursue others. When I was growing up, our family, we, we knew an evangelist. Um, and if you're unfamiliar with what that is, maybe you grew up in a different church culture, didn't grow up in church, or you're just young. Uh, these evangelists, they would travel around, uh, sometimes just a state or a local area, sometimes nationally. Um, and they would do what they called revivals. Anybody remember revivals? Who am I talking to? Like, yeah, okay, revivals. Uh, way back in the day, they were like tent revivals, like hot, sweaty, horse manure in the background, like that kind of revival. Um, but we had this friend that this was his job. He would travel around. He would speak at different churches around the south, the area. And he was a friend of our family. So anytime he was kind of close, we'd, we'd go and see him, check out one of the services. Now, these were not like a one-night thing or a weekend thing. These revivals were like Sunday through Wednesday at least, okay? Like sometimes they were a week long, even two weeks long. And, and I grew up Assembly of God, so you know those services are lasting like 17 hours. Um, and, and your feet are tired, and you need, uh, you need a nap halfway through. But so we would go and we'd check him out. We'd hang out. We'd have dinner with him afterwards, just catch up with the family. And I remember when I was a kid overhearing a lady one night. We were there. We were not too, maybe an hour or so away. And I heard a lady one night and somebody asked, oh, do, do you, is this your home church? Do you attend here? And she goes, oh, no, I live in another state. I said, oh, my gosh, you traveled all the way just to hear him? Oh, yeah. Uh, what, what home church do you have? I don't have a home church. I just follow him. And I remember even at my young age going, I don't, I don't, know, I don't know if that's, that's the way it needs to be done. Because for her, now I'm not, I'm not saying anything, I don't know her, so she may have great community around her, she may have a whole system, but I know to my ears in that moment, and you see this play out through mega churches all across the country right now, through speakers, motivational speakers and the lot. But there are some people that they fixate on a person and say, that's who I'm following now. 
And they're pointing to Jesus, so it's got to be okay, right? No. You can't, you can't focus even on a pastor or a person. It's not about the position. It's about Jesus. It has to be. Now, can you have a favorite speaker? Absolutely, okay? For me, it's Craig Rochelle, Louis Giglio. I love those guys. We joke all the time about Kevin because he loves Andy Stanley. And me and David have said on many occasions, we believe anytime Kevin hints through Georgia, he goes and just drives up and down Andy Stanley's neighborhood just to hopefully get a glimpse of the dude, okay? So you can have a favorite speaker. You can have somebody, you love how they communicate, and you love the way they speak, and you love the way they teach, but... When we begin pursuing people more than the spirit, we require course correction. Anytime you are are loyal to a person instead of what Jesus is doing, there's course correction that needs to be done. So the big question I have this morning is where's your focus? Where's your focus? Where are your eyes aimed? Who are you focusing on? Are you focused on people? Are you focused on being an influencer? Are you focused on looking good in front of your coworkers? Christmas is coming up, or are you hoping that when you're there that you're, you know, I want my family to know I made it. I don't want them to know that my life may be in shambles right now. I want them to know that I'm, I'm doing well. There's, there's nothing wrong with having pride in yourself and, and doing well. But is that your focus? Is that your goal? Is that the purpose of your life? Or is our purpose in life? to get past the complicated and just move to focusing on Jesus. People will come and go. Relationships are going to fail. Families grow apart. Spouses, we say, till death do us part. Hopefully, you're not parting until then, but even then, the best marriages will end in death. But Jesus lasts forever. Hebrews 13.5 says, be content with what you've got. Be content with it. Because God has said, I will never leave you. Never will I fail you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I won't be afraid. What can mere mortals do? Nothing else should matter to us but focusing on Christ. If we let our happiness, our success, our joy, our peace, if we base all of that on people, you will never be satisfied. If you base it on the approval of other people, if you base it on what other people think about you, if you base it on all this, you'll never be satisfied. But we have to find our worth in Christ because we'll never find it in someone else. If you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write this, this last thing down. Why is all of this important? It's because relationships are complicated, but Jesus isn't. Jesus is not complicated. We sometimes try to make him more complicated than he is. And in, in this job that I have, I hear a lot of speakers. I try to research as much as I can. I'll read stuff. I'll listen to things. And sometimes I'm listening to people and reading, and I'm going, you were just, you were trying to really way overcomplicate this situation. Jesus is not that complicated. Acts 16 talks about Paul and Silas in prison and they're worshiping. Most of you may know the story. The walls start to shake. The, the prison door opens up. And the jailer, after a brief thought of suicide, asks Paul and Silas, what, what do I have to do to be saved? Acts 16, verse 30 and 31. What must I do to be saved? And they reply, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved and your household. That's it. Paul didn't have some deep theological study. 
He didn't say, I need you to take 16 hours of this course. He didn't say, I need you to do X, Y, and Z. He said, believe. Believe and you'll be saved. Jesus isn't complicated. What he asks us to do is not complicated. But it may not always be easy either. Paul knew this better than anybody. I'm not going to have time to read it right now, but, but mark down or look in the YouVersion app, the 2 Corinthians 11, 24 through 27. It talks about all the stuff that Paul went through. Like he was whipped, beaten with rods, put in prison, shipwrecked, snake bitten, uh, put in prison. He was, I mean, just a lot of stuff. <laughs> An incredible amount of stuff. He was lost at sea, drowned, labored, toiled, went sleepless nights, hunger wasn't complicated. It was a simple request. I have, I have a few friends who like to do marathons. And every time they talk about marathons, I'm just overwhelmed. Uh, the amount of preparation they have to do, the amount of work that they have to do, months and months training their bodies, and they can't go from this to marathon in a couple months. <laughs> you can't do it. So they're already in good shape. Months of training, making sure they're running in increments, making sure their feet are taken care of. Even if that, they got to have the right gear on. They got to work it the right way. They got to know the course. They got to know when to take breaks. The amount of, and then the actual race itself is just, the amount of, and then the actual race itself is just incredibly painful. And even though they hit that runner's high at some point, there's stretches where it's just hard to even walk. They ice their feet after. I mean, it's just a, a journey. It's not easy to run a marathon. I think we would all agree on that. But at the end of the day, running a marathon is also not very complicated. Because at the end of the day, the goal, run. That's what a marathon is, just run. Every person in this room could go to some marathon and start it. Now, you may not finish it. You may not make it 25 feet. But the goal is the same for run. Jesus is telling us what I have for you may be hard. It may be difficult. It may be challenges. You may face challenges you think are insurmountable. But at the end of the day, it's simple. Believe. I want the band to go ahead and make their way up. I want to look back as I wrap up. To Acts chapter 16, verse 31 again. The jailer asked Paul and Silas, what do I do? And this is, this is their response. I want to read it again. Believe in the Lord Jesus, you'll be saved. And this, this second part's the important part. You and your household. You believe you'll be saved and your household. I love this, and I, I had read this many times and never connected the dots until, until this week praying about this and thinking about this. Paul is telling this man to believe. Not only will he be saved, but his household. Why? Because Paul knew if this one man puts the priority in the right place and makes the decision for Jesus, the rest of his family will follow. Paul didn't ask, hey, listen, if you'll run home and get your whole family, get your whole house and bring them here, I'll save y'all. No. Paul said, if you will believe, then you'll be saved and your household. And I want to talk to all the guys for just a second because I feel like this rings the most true for us. Becoming a dad right now, I, I have moments where I, I, I realize, oh my goodness, I, I'm, I'm, I have an extra responsibility to lead my home. And I know where I go, our family will go. And if you're a man in this place today, it should be an extra challenge to us as well. 
The same words that Paul rang out to that jailer should be ringing out to every one of us this morning. All you have to do is believe, pursue Jesus, make him the top of the pyramid in your life, make him the priority. Everything else will fall into place, including your family, including the people that you care about and love the most. They will fall in line. So I want you guys to bow your heads this morning.